Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. go through this for a couple weeks now of God just convicting my heart and bringing it against me. So it's only fair. I should have you guys go through that too, right? Amen. Thank you, worship team. You guys can go ahead and be seated, but don't, don't lose this attitude of, of praise. Don't lose this attitude of worship. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you guys, I got to tell you, Pastor Chris and I just got back from kids camp. I'm tired. And you know what's sad? We only took two kids. Man, I'm just going to, I want to take some time just to have some fun for a minute. I got to tell you guys some stories that will just make you laugh. So we are on our way to camp, driving in the car, not, not even there yet. And I hear a conversation between the two kiddos in the back seat. It's, it's Cadence, Dory, I know you hear me up there. And my son, Gage, and Cadence is telling Gage this story. We're talking about all this fun stuff at the camp and that there's a lake. And all of a sudden she goes, Gage, did you know there's a lake monster? Mm-hmm. And uh, it comes out at night and it kills kids that don't listen. <laughs> but don't worry, Gage. My dad already took care of him. I look at Chris, I'm driving, I'm like looking at him, I'm like, I'm bunking with that? For real? I had to sleep with one eye open, Dory. Checking her, making sure she was breathing every night. I was like going up to her bunk like, <sighs> kids, man. And then one night we're sitting at dinner in the cafeteria. And the food was subpar. But we're sitting there talking about all the fun that we've had for the day. And, and my son, I don't know if anybody, did anybody else see him? He ran in for just a second. If you took a minute, this tells you enough about my kid. He had high water pants on, fuzzy Christmas socks and sandals. We're winning at life this morning, people. But we're sitting at the dinner table, and all of a sudden he goes, Mom, I took a shower today with soap. He said, camp's making me fancy. Apparently you just need to go to camp to uh, get better hygiene. I don't know. But let me tell you, these kids had so much fun. And if, if they don't wear you down physically, they definitely wear you down mentally. I mean, like they're solar powered from the sun. I am convinced of this. Like one second, they're like, I'm tired. I don't want to go keep going. And then they see something and they're like, let's go. And they're running full force. And Chris and I are like, okay, we're on, on to the next activity. But man, they just, they had the time of their lives. And, um, we were sitting in a leaders meeting one morning, and um, Dr. Clanch, who's our AG superintendent, he said this, and it, it just really spoke to me, because there are times where you just, you're tired, you're frustrated. Sometimes, honestly, you're not sure they're getting it. You're just like, I mean, they're wiggling in church. They're not listening to the message. And he said something that the Lord spoke to me this morning to tell the leaders was, you will never know. You will never know what one moment of connection with a kid. You will never know what one week at camp. You will never know how that's going to impact their life in the future. So just a big thank you to all of you. If any of you gave so that kids could go for you guys that prayed over these kids as they went, man, just thank you. It truly was a blast. Like I joke about being tired, but it was probably some of the best couple of days of my life. It was, it was incredible. All right. So let's just jump in. We've had fun. Now we're going to get serious. All right. So I'm going to ask everybody a question this morning. Has anybody in here just been in a funk before? Only one? Let's try that again. Thank you. 
you all lying if you haven't been in a funk before. I'm just going to be real. Guys, I've been in a funk for a couple months. Where you know, you know what it's like. Something just feels off. You can't really put your finger on it. You're just like, I don't, I don't know. Like when I first started feeling that way, my husband Eric would be like, hey, like, are you okay? What's going on? And my response was just like, you know what? I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't really feel like myself. It's nothing major. I'm just, I feel tired. I'm just kind of emotionally drained. I just, I don't know. I just don't feel right. And it's in those moments that the enemy, he just is right there to whisper in your ear. You know, and when I was going through this, I would hear, Heather, I'll, I'll tell you what's wrong. What's wrong? You have anxiety. You're, de- you're depressed. That's what's wrong with you. But, you know, none of that felt right. I'm like, Lord, I, I have nothing to be depressed about. My life's good. But for months, just battling this feeling of, like, I don't know. God, I just don't know what this is. Like, I'm battling it. And it is a battle, let me tell you. Because like I said, the enemy puts thoughts into your head. And you have to battle them every single day. You have to say, I don't have anxiety. I'm not depressed. It's okay. It's okay how I'm feeling. It's okay. Maybe something's not great yet, but it will be. It's all right. But <laughs> I was laughing because as I was thinking about this, I'm like, the enemy is really dramatic. I would call him a little bit of a drama queen because he'll take the smallest thing in your life and he will make it seem so big. So big. It becomes the forefront of your thoughts. It consumes every little thing. So as I'd be going about my day, just doing my normal schedule, everything would feel fine. But then all of a sudden, something feels off. Something's not right. Do you you feel that? Like he'll just constantly bring it up again where it's just consuming you. And as I was going through this, I mean, it's been since probably April. And as I would be sitting in here in my prayer time, I could just feel this weight that there are many of you that feel this way. You just, just, something just feels off. Not everything is great. And as I'd be praying, there are two phrases that I would just pray over and over again. It was God, no matter what, we're holding our position. No matter what, I'm holding my position. And God, I'm holding on to hope. I'm holding on to hope. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, I'm going to bring this all together, I promise. We were, uh, we just got back from the grocery store, Gage and I, and I'm doing the whole thing that all moms do. Hey, don't get out of the car. Help me get the groceries out. Like, I already hear the front door closing. He didn't hear a word that I said. So, I'm trying to get 27 grocery bags on two arms. I'm like, I'm one trip. I don't have time to make two trips. But then I'm like also trying to close the hatch to the back of my car. Guys, I have one of those neighbors that constantly is looking out their window. Like you look over and you see the blind close all of a sudden. I feel like we are a constant source of entertainment for them. Because <laughs> I know I looked a mess with all these bags hanging. I'm like already short, trying to grab it and I have to do like this little jump. And hope you reach it the first time. Sometimes it takes three tries. Finally get it closed, and, and I'm walking in the house, and it was like I got hit by lightning. How many of you know God can speak to you in the most ordinary part of your day out of nowhere? And God spoke something to me. He said, you are unsettled. You're unsettled. And it was like a light bulb just kind of went off in my head. I'm like, that's my feeling. That's my feeling. I'm unsettled. And God knows how my mind works. I love that God knows us so much. He knew that whenever I got that word, immediately I would go into my house, I'd grab my dictionary, and I'd go, what does this really mean? I will dissect this word until I just find something that just speaks to my soul. And one of the definitions of unsettled is this. It's not yet resolved. This is even more how God knows my brain is going to work. I see that word resolved, and it took me back to four years ago. 
we were doing a, a study on the book of Daniel in youth. And in the very first chapter of Daniel, verse 8, I'm going to read it to you. It says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in that way. Four years ago, that word stuck out to me when I was writing a sermon for youth. It had nothing to do with this, but yet I remembered that word. And I came back to it, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If you'll bow your heads, we're going to pray. God, I just come to you this morning. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you're speaking to our hearts and our minds today. Lord, I pray, God, that you just prepare the soil. Lord, help us to receive your word. Help us to walk in victory. God, I pray that some of us today, Lord, we find a settlement, Lord, between our heart and our mind today, God, that we hold on to who you say we are and we hold on to hope. God, because our hope is in you. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Anoint my words today. Everybody said amen. All right, so I want to catch you up on kind of what's happening in the book of Daniel at this point. This is everything that's going on between verses 1 and 7. So at this point, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. You have the northern kingdom of Jerusalem. It's captured first by Babylon. And then you have the southern kingdom of Judah. This is where Daniel and his friends were from. Verse 3 tells us that Daniel and his friends were from loyal or noble families. The king more than likely chose to take them because he didn't want them to rise up and lead a resistance against him. Hey, if I take the noble families, they can't do anything. It also meant that Daniel and his friends were well-versed in Moses' law. Literally from the day they were born, this is something that is recited over them, something that they will know. They will know the law. But Daniel and his friends also are growing up in a time where the Israelites had forsaken God and God removed his hand from them. King Nebuchadnezzar, what do we call him in youth, guys? King Nebi just helps. It's shorter. You can only say Nebuchadnezzar so many times. So if I say King Nebi, that's who I'm talking about. King Nebi wanted young men that were not set in their ways. He wanted young men that he could manipulate and assimilate into Babylonian culture. Historians estimate Daniel and his friends could be anywhere from 14 to 17 years of age. And I pause here because... When you read that, you already know this is a miracle from God. Sawyer, I love you, but I've been doing youth ministry a really long time. And it is very rare for a young man from the ages of actually 11 to 16 to make a good choice. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. If you've had sons, if you've had a brother, if you're a man yourself, you know there was a while that your brain just left your body. It just left your body for a little bit. And for some reason, when you turn 17, it comes back. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh, man, you're so awesome. I tell Sawyer this all the time. Bro, for a while, I did not like you. And then all of a sudden, I was like, dude, you're the the greatest kid ever. You're so awesome. So we already know this is a miracle. The fact that Daniel and his friends that are this young made such a wise and courageous decision. So a part of this assimilation process was that these young men were to eat a portion of food that came from the king's table. Can you imagine? I think of this feast in my head, like huge grapes, the big pig that's sitting on the platter, and Daniel and his friends are like, I mean, it's not a big deal to eat the food, right? It's, it's a really big deal to eat the food because that food came from animals that were sacrificed to a false god. And the Israelites had really strict food laws. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he's smart. He thought, if I could get them to eat the food, I will see how much they have compromised. Because if these young men that know the law of Moses so well, if I can entice their eyes, if I can get them to eat the food, I can get them to follow my laws, and I can get them to serve my gods. King Nebuchadnezzar even took it so far as he uh, gave them new names. Daniel, which means God is my judge, became Belshazzar, derived from Bel, who was the Babylonian's chief god. Hananiah means grace and favor of God. He became Shadrach, which denotes idolatrous favor and inspiration of the sun god. His name change depicts the contrast between the favor of God and the favor of the world. Mishael was a combination of two Hebrew words meaning resemblance to God. 
His new name, Meshach, said he was devoted to the chief goddess of beauty and pleasure. The name change tried to make him a lover of pleasure instead of a lover of God. Azariah means God my help. He became Abednego. It means son of Lucifer and contrasted between being a servant of righteousness or a servant of sin. That's everything that's going on. And I want to tell you all of that because I want you guys to understand what these young men are feeling. They are no doubt unsettled. Sometimes we get unsettled because things in life just change really fast. We're not prepared for it. New food, new culture, new names. They don't know what to do. They're unsettled. Just not sure which direction their life is headed. The future that they thought they had is now nowhere. Their very identities were being stripped from them. Everything is new and enticing. No one was watching them anymore. Their parents weren't around. They didn't have those royal advisors making sure they showed up everywhere on time, making sure they followed the laws. It's a new culture. They can be whoever they want to be. They can do whatever they want to do. No one would know. There's an argument probably going on in their minds, the flesh, battling the spirit, because that's what happens when we're unsettled. Your mind says one thing, but your heart normally tells you something else. In your mind, it's the enemy whispering thoughts. You want to know what I've been hearing for the last three months? Heather, why are you even trying? You are unqualified. You are unworthy. You can't make a difference. What has the enemy been speaking to you? And you know when it happens, it's always in that quiet moment. Finally get a second to yourself. Maybe it's when you lay your head down on the pillow and the thoughts start circulating in your brain. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have been hearing those. It doesn't matter. You don't make a difference. No one loves you. Guys, he is such a liar. He will tell you things to make you feel so horrible about yourself. I imagine to Daniel what he was whispering in his head was something like, look at all of this before you. Just go for it. His signature is, no one will ever know. Because you know there are things that we can be tempted to do that no one would ever know about. Daniel, no one will ever know. (laughs) But what did Daniel's name mean? God is my judge. Someone would definitely know God. Verse 8 tells us, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. Those seven words tell us more than we could possibly imagine. Another version says Daniel purposed in his heart. That means that the depths of his soul came to the surface. In a time when he felt unsettled, he settled the argument between his mind and his heart. You see, they could change his name, but they couldn't change his nature. The enemy, he will label you with all kinds of things. When he tells me that I'm unqualified, you know what I say? But I'm called. Heather, you're unworthy. God is worthy. You're unloved. Nope. God loves me so much. He loves me so much. The king thought in just a couple of moments that he could undo a lifetime of teachings that Daniel held sacred. Teachings like one of them that he would know for a very long time is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The second he would think about that is I won't eat food sacrificed to false gods because my God is the only God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Or another one, Deuteronomy 10, 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul 
and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To be obedient. Oh, but no one's watching. I'm still going to be obedient. When we're unsettled, one thing it's really easy to do and tempting to do is to let your mind wander. That's where the enemy gets you. He will let your mind wander and think about a lot of different things. Think about a better life. Think about how things could be better. He just lets your mind wander. It's so tempting to do that. It's tempting, but it's also dangerous. It's dangerous to let your mind wander too far from the things of God. Our thoughts should reflect what's in our heart and not the other way around. Through this time, guys, I've just I've come to realize something, and you might disagree with me, but it's okay if you feel unsettled here sometimes. It's okay. It's human nature sometimes to just feel kind of blah. But it is not okay to feel unsettled here. If you're unsettled here, you're not going to find a settlement here. You have to be settled in your heart. You have to resolve in your heart to do what is right, even though you may not feel like it. (laughs) Going into this, Daniel had no idea how much one small choice would impact his life. It set the course for everything. As I was reading just this very first chapter, I thought, if Daniel would not have resolved in his heart to do what was right, the book of Daniel would not exist. It wouldn't exist. There would be no great triumph of Daniel in the lion's den. There would be no interpretation of dreams. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would never have walked in the flames with God, all because they made one small choice to resolve in their heart from the very beginning not to compromise. If you're waiting to resolve in your heart to do what is right after you've already done what is wrong, you have waited too long. It doesn't work that way. You have to resolve in your heart to do what is right. And sometimes doing what is right is to do nothing. When I first thought I kind of threw that word at you, that you guys would be like, what? Do nothing. And then it was pretty funny that all through worship, God was basically saying, I'm winning the battle for you. You don't have to do anything. So let me be clear. When I say you don't have to do nothing, I don't mean we get to be lazy spiritually. We definitely don't get to do that. But what was right for Daniel was actually him choosing not to do something. He chose not to eat the food. Let's pick it back up in verse 9 for you guys that are following along. Daniel 1 verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Verse 11, Daniel then said to the guard whom the official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearances with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Once Daniel and his friends decided not to do something, they didn't waver on it. They held their position. And you have to hold your position too. Okay. I'm going to get a little harsh for a little bit. You guys buckle up because I had to go through this too. It's not fun. Some of you, when you're unsettled, you have an instinct to run. You're runners. Things start feeling off. I got to get out. Got to get out of this situation quick. Got to get out of this marriage. Or, hey, maybe things are unsettled at home. And if we just take one more vacation. If we just get out of our home, or if we just get that that one more thing, you just run because it's just too much to deal with. Or maybe things aren't going the way that you thought they were going to go. And it's easier just to, to run away, to pursue something new. Listen, when you run away from a circumstance like that, you're running away from God. You are taking away an opportunity for God to show up. Don't run. 
This one's me, just so you guys know. Maybe you're not a runner, but you're busy. None of you guys here are surprised by that statement. If you know me, you know I'm busy. Les was up at the office the other day when I was working, and he had to see how my brain works. <laughs> guys. Pastor Chris over there, he's a type, he can sit has his, at his computer four hours, like no problem. He gets so hyper-focused, he is just in the zone. I work in 30-minute increments. I can sit at my computer and I can write for 30 minutes. And then I reward myself with a five-minute window to like walk around and do something. This is how my brain works. In our house, we call this the zoomies. And this is a, uh, a term that's coined because we have two people with ADHD in our home. And what this looks like is when my son or I get this unsettled feeling, we just have this like energy to do something. We have nothing to like, we have nowhere to put our energy, right? It's just like, ugh. So mine comes out at night, normally like 10.30, 11 o'clock. My husband and I are laying in bed and it hits these ideas. Let's do this. I'm like, hey, you know, what if we painted our bedroom? Or like, what do you think about our kitchen cabinets? Do you like the color? Should we, we should change that. Or, you know, we could do a deck outside or have you, and I mean, I am just like a hundred miles an hour and he's over there just like, good Lord woman, would you please just go to bed? It's a real thing. I have this thing of, I need to have a sense of accomplishment. And when I'm going through a time of feeling unsettled, it's really hard. Because I don't feel like I have a sense of accomplishment of very many things. And so that's what that looks like. Just needing to find a purpose. Needing to find a sense of accomplishment. Is anybody else like that? Please tell me I'm not alone. Thank you. A few of you that are brave enough to admit it. I want to share something with you. (laughs) I thought it was so great to be busy. I'm doing so many things. You know what God told me? He said, you are using busyness to avoid my presence. Yeah, I know. I know. It's hard. Some of you guys think, if I just sign up for one more volunteer activity, which nothing wrong with that. We love it when you guys sign up to volunteer. But it's the heart behind it. Oh, I'm going to do nursery today because I just don't know if I really want to be in service. Kind of avoiding God at the moment. Because you know what's going to happen when you're in service. You're going to get pierced by the Holy Spirit. So you stay busy. And, and during my times of busyness, this is my mentality. God, do you see what I'm doing? Look at all of these things that I'm doing for you. Do you hear that? Look at me, God. Look at me over here trying to earn. Earn something. Because when things get tough or the hits just keep coming, you can go into an earned mentality. You know, like we start thinking that God is allowing things to happen because we're not doing enough for him. We know the truth, right? But the enemy says that these things are happening to you because you're just, you're not doing enough. So I'll, I'll do things and I set up to show God up. I'm like, I'm going to show God up. I'm going to show God that I can do all of these things. But listen, you can do things for God and your heart can still be very far from him. When we're unsettled, what we need to do is nothing. Whether you're a runner or you're busy like me, the bottom line is the same. You're restless. A lot of you just feel restless this morning. And when you're restless, you need to rest in the presence of God. A couple weeks ago, um, I took the youth to a conference at Gateway, incredible conference. And during one of the worship songs, they had just gotten started. And, you know, if you've ever been to a youth conference or youth camp during worship, all the kids kind of come to the front and it's great. They're really into it, super excited. But all of a sudden the worship leader just stopped because the kids were a little too excited. And he said, I want you guys to stop. He said, we're not up here to be musicians to entertain you. This isn't a concert. We are here to be in the presence of God. And he made them all stop. He said, I don't want you to clap. 
I don't want you to do anything. I want you to just be still in the presence of God. He said, the enemy is so good these days at distracting you with so many things. He keeps you so distracted that you don't crave the presence of God anymore. It took a few tries, but I'm telling you, there was five minutes. It wasn't a lot. There was a perfect peace in the presence of God. And more was done in that five minutes in the presence of God than any of the speakers that went up there and gave an incredible message. The presence of God changed hearts and minds. We need to just stand firm and hold our position in him. This is backed up in several verses of scripture. First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Guys, there's no hidden message there. It means what it says. When life is good, stand firm. When life is bad, stand firm. First Corinthians sixteen thirteen. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Verse 13, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Paul was a military man. We know what his past was like before he got saved. Can I tell you guys something this morning? I've read through talking about the armor of God so many times and I missed the point completely. Did you notice he didn't say put on the full armor of God so that you can fight? He didn't say put on the full armor of God and then advance. He didn't say put on the full armor of God and run. He didn't say put on the full armor of God and get really busy doing a lot of things. He said put on the full armor of God and take your stand. We misinterpret what that means. (laughs) Take your stand. Do nothing. Do you know what it means in military to take a stand? It means that you have the advantage and you keep it. Kind of like what Aubrey said, you already have the victory. You don't have to do anything. We need to start acting like we already have the advantage. When things are unsettled, you know what? It's okay. It's okay when the enemy brings things against you. Take your stand. You have the advantage. Keep it. Keep it. (laughs) We are to stand so that when the day of evil comes, we can withstand it. I'm sorry, guys. I like the dictionary. To withstand, do you know what that actually means? It means you're unaffected by it. So that when the enemy brings schemes against you, move on. I ain't worried about you. Doesn't even bother you. We get so worried about things that haven't even happened. The what ifs. When they show up, you go, not today, Satan. You shouldn't even hear them. You got that helmet of salvation on your head. You got that shield of faith. And you don't even have to move with it. You just have to stand there. When he comes against you, you just go, you've already lost. I've got the high ground. I don't have to do anything. At the end of those 10 days of being tested, verse 15 tells us that Daniel and his friends looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. They did nothing. Did nothing but trust God. They did what they had always done. They kept eating the food they've always eaten. They kept trusting God like they've been trusting him. They did nothing different. They just kept living for him. That part of the test, it... It lasted for 10 days, but it wasn't finished yet. The time set for training was three years. I mean, imagine you see God do something incredible, right? They get this great favor from God. But, ooh, three more years. 
We've just got to go three more years. The Bible doesn't tell us anything else happens in that three years. Was God silent? We don't know. How many of you guys that are in this funk right now want to be in it for three more years? No, sounds terrible. No one wants to be in a funk for three years. But you know what? Daniel and his friends, they didn't give up. Because when you've come this far, you don't go back. You just say, we're going to keep going ahead. They didn't give up. And you can't either. You have to hold on to hope. Daniel, would you go ahead and come if you don't mind? There's been a verse that's just, uh, you know, you get to that point when you're going through a hard time, you find a hold on verse that just, it speaks to you and you're just not letting it go. And mine has been Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. The word hope in the Bible is very different from how we understand it in our culture today. In our world, we think of hope as a wish. And we find ourselves treating God like that. As if we have these wishes for him to grant. I wish this would happen. Or I want this to happen. That's not what hope is. That's not what hope in the Bible is. Hope in the Bible is an assurance based on a conviction. It's the settled confidence that God will keep his promise. That God will keep his promise. The Greek word for hope in this verse is, it's a waiting hope. That's what it is. A waiting hope. A, uh, my circumstances haven't changed. My marriage isn't better. I'm not healed. Yet. It's a yet. Maybe I'll go through it for three more years. Yet. I'm still waiting. I'm still holding on to hope. Another verse is Micah 7, 7. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God, my Savior. My God will heal. There's a story of a king who prepared a city for some of his poorest subjects. Not far from them were large storehouses where everything they could need was supplied. All they had to do was send in their requests, but on one condition. They should be on the lookout for the answer so that when the king's messengers came with the answer, they would be found waiting and ready to receive them. The sad story is told of one who never expected to get what he asked because he was too unworthy. He believed too many of the enemy's lies. Some of you are waiting on something. Don't believe the enemy's lies. One day he was taken to the king's storehouses and there to his amazement, he saw with his address on them, all the packages that had been made up for him and sent. There was the garment of praise, the oil of joy, and so much more. They had been to his door, but they found it closed because he wasn't waiting. Don't give up hope this morning. He will deliver on his promises. I don't know if anyone else feels this way, but when the hits keep coming and you feel unsettled, we have a tendency to kind of picture God like he's mad at us, as if he's turned his back on us and his ear is all of a sudden just far from us. Some of you need to hear this morning that God is not mad at you. I had to hear that at conference when I took the kids a couple weeks ago. In a prophetic word, they just spoke, God is not mad at you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He hears your prayers. And at one point they said, God is pleased with you. I 
feel like someone needs to hear that this morning. God is pleased with you. He sees everything you're doing. He sees the faith you're holding on to. He is pleased with you. God does hear us. It's in his very nature. Miss Jan, I'm hitting on you again because God spoke this to my heart and Aubrey already said it. He sees you. He hears you when you go into your prayer closet. He sees you. He wanted me to tell you that this morning. He hears the prayers for your family. He put your name right here in my notes. And it is just funny that Aubrey said the same thing. He wants you to know he hears your prayers this morning. His ear is not far from you. His heart is not far from you. He loves you. He loves you. That word in Hebrew for hear is shama. And it's very different from hearing. You know what it means? It means you hear and then you respond. This word first shows up in scripture in Genesis when God is speaking to Abraham. He uses it again when he speaks to Jacob and to Moses. Each time saying, listen and respond. And so the people learned this word that God gave to them. So they started using it. Very, very many of the Psalms start with this word, Shana. God, listen to me. God, listen to my heart. God, would you just respond? So many of David's prayers were, God, just listen and respond. Let me know that you are there. He hears you. He is responding to you. Don't give up. Hold on to hope. Guys, this has been a prayer of my heart. It's just that, Jesus, I'm holding on to hope. A hope that you will deliver on your promises. I'm going to be very real with you this morning. God has not yet delivered on my promise. I have a prayer that I have been praying for 15 years. And it has not been delivered yet. Honestly, there are times circumstances seem worse. Anybody else you've been there, you're praying and it actually is getting worse. You're like, what in the world is happening? We have a tendency to be like, God, what are you doing? As if we're trying to tell God what to do. Like, God, would you just, would you just show up? And I think of the story of Moses. In his very last days, right? God takes him up on this mountain. Because Moses, what was his mission? Get the people to the promised land. But something happened. One incident. And God took away the opportunity for Moses to take them into the promised land. So he takes Moses up on the mountain and he's like, I just want you to look at it. You're not actually going to walk in it, but I want you to look at it. And I got so hung up on that. I'm like, God, what? Literally his only mission was to take them into the promised land. And you took that away from him. What is going on? God, I don't, I don't understand. I reread the story recently. You guys, I reread the story. Go down two more verses. I'm going to read it for you this morning. Two more verses. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab. The he is God himself. God himself buried Moses. He loved Moses so much that he was there with him in the very last breath that he took. And then he took the tender care to bury Moses. Guys, I missed the point completely. I was so focused on this promised land and this mission that he was supposed to accomplish. The mission was his relationship with God. That was the promise. It doesn't matter if I finish what I started. I finished what I started with you. I was so convicted. I thought, God, who am I to tell you how to deliver on my promise? You are my hope. My hope isn't all of a sudden restored just because my prayer gets answered. My hope isn't all of a sudden restored because it goes the way I want to. My hope is in him. And if I have him, that has to be enough. At the end of my life, I hope it's, you are my hope. 
Jesus, you were the most important part. Nothing else matters. If all you ever do for me is the fact that you died on the cross and you never do another thing for me, God, that's okay. It's okay. God is enough. He was enough for Daniel and his friends too. At the end of those three years, there were none equal to them. In fact, they were 10 times better than everyone else. But you know what? I don't think they cared about that. Because the rest of the book of Daniel is just them doing incredible things for God, just putting him first over and over again. They didn't care that they were better than anybody else. They don't care that they got the higher position. They said, it's God or nothing. It's God or nothing. No matter how you're feeling this morning, I just want to remind you we have hope. It doesn't matter what circumstances you're in. It doesn't matter what's going on in here. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter that you haven't seen those prayers answered yet. We have hope. As I thought about how I wanted to close the service this morning, I'd like to do something just a little bit different. I know we have times where we ask you to come to the front and if you want prayer, but I feel like this is what the Lord spoke to me. He wants you to spend time with just him. I want to give everybody the opportunity this morning to just get alone in the presence of God. No distractions, no anything. You're free to come to the front after I'll I'll pray and then I'll close this and you are free to come to the front and pray or you can... Make an altar right there in your chair. It's however you want to do it. But listen, some of you this morning, you've been avoiding the presence of God. If you want to feel better, if you want the lies of the enemy to be drowned out in your mind, if you want to see some victory, you need to spend time in the presence of God. That's all you have to do. He's not asking you to do anything else, but just spend time in the presence of God this morning. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you, I asked Aubrey to just come up and sing a song and we're just going to take some time. I'm not going to be up here praying. I feel like it's just really important that you guys just spend time with him this morning. Lord, I thank you. God, I pray today, Lord, that you soothe every hurt. God, I pray you show up today as our great restorer. Lord, if there is anybody, God, that feels broken. God, that you show up today, you restore and you offer hope. God, for those today that are waiting, Lord, they have a waiting hope. I pray they get in their, your presence today, God, and they have a confidence, God, that you are listening and that you are responding to the prayer that they are praying. Lord, I thank you for speaking to our hearts and minds today. God, I pray for any that have just had this feeling, Lord, that they are just unsettled. Can't put a finger on it, God. I pray that they take victory over it today. And they don't give the enemy an opportunity, God, to take them deeper than they need to go, Lord. I pray that they win the battle in their minds today, God, and they resolve in their heart to do what is right. I pray for those that have been running, Lord, they've been restless. I pray, God, they hold their position in your presence today, Lord, where they are restored and they are renewed. Lord, and I pray they hold on to hope because you are everything that we need. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Please feel free to come to the front if you want to just make an altar at your chair. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.